Hi, I'm Charlene Chen. I'm the Chief Operating Officer of BitPesa. Welcome to the African Tech Roundup, Charlene. Thank you. Well, there are basically two types of people in the world, right? There are those who own Bitcoin and those that don't. Which one are you? <laughs> I absolutely own Bitcoin. When do you, do you expect, do you expect we should expect for Bitcoin to mature, you know, into a sort of mature asset class? At what point do you think that might happen where Bitcoin is synonymous with, say, nickel? <laughs> That's a great question. Well, actually, the World Economic Forum just published a uh, tipping point technologies report where they said that by 2027, so in roughly 10 years from now, um, Bitcoin blockchain technology will reach a tipping point. Um, and what they cited is that about 10% of the world's GDP will be stored on blockchain technology. So it might be sooner than you'd think. So for those who aren't as au fait with cryptocurrency and Bitcoin specifically, what is the, and, 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 and using this as sort of a springboard to explain uh, why BitPesa exists and how it is you guys go about doing business, ex explain the, the significance of cryptocurrency, perhaps Bitcoin specifically. Sure. Well, I think why cryptocurrency is so exciting um, is because it's decentralized peer-to-peer uh, -peer currency. Um, so you're able to achieve a speed and a low cost for peer-to-peer -peer transactions that currently with existing technologies isn't really possible. Um, so think of Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies as sort of like a, a mobile money that can be stored on your phone and, and sent from person to person, person to business, business to person, etc. Um, without having to go through an intermediary like a um, bank or, um, you know, also it's not uh, necessarily monit uh, monitored or regulated by a central bank, which um, you would be basically seeing everything that you're sending and then controlling it and, and affecting the valuation of it. Um, so where BitPesa comes into this is we first started the company to significantly lower the cost of remittances, um, and we focused on the sub-Saharan market, uh, namely because we um, were living there and had um, been working there for many years, um, but also we saw that there were the most inefficiencies in the payments market. Relative so. to? Uh, yeah. So, for example, remittances to sub-Saharan Africa are 12% on average compared to the global average of 6%. So we're talking about you know, double the fees. Um, so that's how we initially started out. And, and really the cheapest way to do remittances would be you know, Bitcoin to Bitcoin or cryptocurrency to cryptocurrency wallet. Um, but I think the challenge is that um, cryptocurrency, um, although it is getting increasingly accepted by more and more merchants, um, both online and at point of sale, um, it's still not um, mainstream enough so that, you know, and I get paid in Bitcoin. So it's not like... Wait, seriously? <laughs> yes, I do get paid in Bitcoin. Um, but, you know, it's not as if I could necessarily take my Bitcoin and then um, go to a grocery store in Lagos and pay for my groceries. Um, so BitPesa really exists to kind of bring the low-cost nature and the efficiency of blockchain technology or cryptocurrency technology, um, but converting it in and out of a fiat currency like, you know, um, 
like Naira or Ugandan shillings or Kenyan shillings that you can actually spend. The world is currently surfing the mobile money trend led by East Africa in many respects. Create a bridge, if you will, or framework of thinking about cryptocurrency in the context of a continent that seems ready to adopt innovation around you know, traditional currencies. So the best way to explain what Bitcoin is or what the potential is or what cryptocurrency's potential is for the continent is to say that cryptocurrency could theoretically do for Africa as a continent what M-Pesa did for Kenya. So why was M-Pesa or why is M-Pesa so successful in Kenya? It's because it's got tremendous uh, market penetration. So Everyone, uh, you know, from a young age to an elderly person um, has a phone that can support um, M-Pesa. All you need is really SMS uh, and USSD. Um, so in terms of market penetration, um, you've got that going for, for M-Pesa. Um, but there's a great network effect beyond the fact that, you know, so many people have M-Pesa wallets. And that's the fact that you can um, use M-Pesa um, to buy, you know, pretty much anything in Nairobi. Uh, when I was living there for five years, I used M-Pesa all the time. Um, and then also the idea of if you receive M-Pesa, then you can cash it out at, you know, one of thousands and thousands of agents across the country. Um, but I mean, in this context, you're receiving shillings, aren't you? Yeah. But the beauty uh, of what Bipesa, you know, can do and has done for, you know, the last four years since operation is basically take the Bitcoin out of the picture. So basically anyone in the world, an individual or, or now more so we're focused on businesses, businesses can send money to the countries where we operate. Um, and we're just using Bitcoin as a token of settlement in the background. So sure, if you've got Bitcoin already in, you know, one of dozens and dozens of countries where you can buy Bitcoin these days, then we can instantly convert it into African currency. So Kenyan shillings, Ugandan shillings, Tanzanian shillings, Nigerian Naira, and soon Seifa. Um, so what could, sort of rates are you offering uh, relative to incumbents? So again, uh, with the remittances, our goal was to be 75% cheaper than the market leaders, which are Western Union and MoneyGram. So when we launched the remittance product, um, we offered fees, transaction fees of 3%. Uh, which is half of uh, the global average of 6% and only a quarter of the 12% average of, of payments to Africa. Are you secretly hoping that uh, Bitcoin doesn't go mainstream because wouldn't that disrupt your business? That's a great question. No, I mean, I think for us, we, <laughs> you know, I, it sounds funny to say, but it's always good if you can put kind of put your business out of business and then you'll innovate into other areas. So, Eventually, we hope that FX and sort of transaction fees will become a commodity or FX will become a commodity and therefore transaction fees will come down dramatically. Um, but a lot of the stuff we're excited about is beyond instant payments. Um, you know, we're also partnering um, with a company called Bitbond, which is partnering with Jumia um, to basically issue credit to SMEs across Africa that are looking for credit to um, purchase goods from abroad, say China or Dubai, et cetera. 
So basically, Bitbond is done doing the credit scoring. They send us Bitcoin, and we instantly convert it into African currency. So we're kind of like the, the last mile distribution for dispersing even credit. So we moved beyond um, the remittances that we focused on initially to more interesting products. So that said, I mean, we're nowhere near that future, which some people have a hard time imagining, this, this uh, totally electronic currency-led future. Where we are currently is, in fact, something that I feel is not spoken of enough. This reality that most of Africa, including East Africa, where MPES is such a big deal, uh, most of Africa still functions on cash. And what are some of the fundamental macroeconomic issues that drive the perpetuation of cash in these economies? And like, pick a key economy where MPES operates and, and use that as an example, maybe. Sure. I think that's a great point. Actually, you read my mind is that cash is still king in many of the African countries um, where we work. I can think of the example of uh, those of you listeners who are from Kenya may have heard of uh, or know what I mean when I say boda boda, uh, which is kind of the nickname or slang for uh, a motorcycle uh, or a taxi or you know a guy on a, on a bike. And um, boda boda came a shorthand for border border uh, because these motorcycle taxis are literally carrying cash across the border between Kenya and Uganda. Um, and I, I think it's important to note that even neighboring countries have huge transaction fees like Kenya and Uganda, case in point, average transaction fee is 20 to 25 percent. Um, so I think the issue is that as long as they're not um, or there are too few opportunities to like cheaply send money between um, countries, people are going to rely on the old-fashioned way to get money across borders. Um, I think there's also the challenge of capital controls, for sure. So when we think about some of the companies we work with, which are, say, Nigerian businesses importing goods from China, um, you know, is it easier for them to go to their bank and try to buy $100,000 worth of U.S. dollars or go to the parallel market, um, you know, buy some cash, stick it in a suitcase and then fly to Guangzhou, um, you know, and then actually buy the goods in person. So. I think the challenge is there's not many options. And so, you know, there's this tendency to kind of come back to what we know and trust and can feel, uh, which is hard, cold cash. You know, in the context of BitPesa being a startup and startups typically playing to opportunities that are typically in, 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 in murky waters, I mean, hence, hence the appeal. You know, I mean, if, if this was all clear cut in terms of information and, and, and data in a space, I mean, the opportunity wouldn't exist, all those things you hear all the time. What do you play to in terms of trying to attract the sort of investment you would need to keep going as a business? Maybe in the same breath, give us an indication of the sort of funding you guys have landed. Uh, you've done a Series A, right? And so what, what you sort of land for Series A and how much of the future you enthuse your investors on, but how much of the realities you have massage into that projection in order to make sure you're not you know shooting yourself in the foot by taking on money you can't really you know give a good return on investment on 
Well, I think uh, one of the things you learn as a business raising money um, in Africa or outside of Africa for an African business is that you don't necessarily have the liberty of, of raising kind of the uh, Silicon Valley numbers where, oops, you know, you've raised so much money and then you're struggling to show the return on investment. Um, so- That's really good. I like that. That's smooth. That's like we only get just what we need. <laughs> No, uh, it must make your investors feel so good about the deal they got, right? Exactly. We raise exactly what we need. Um, so, yeah, in terms of public knowledge, um, yeah, it's publicly known we've raised about uh, $5.7 million U.S. dollars um, through our Series A, which closed in January. Uh, what sort of uh, runway does that buy a company like Pepesa? Oh, well, I'm not... I, I, Exact liberty to say, but just to say, you know, we've been in operation since end of 2013. Um, yeah, I can't say too much about our, our burn rate, but just to say, you know, we we do try to stay lean. I had to ask. Uh, of course. <laughs> we stay lean. Um, we've got a team of about 25 uh, with offices in Nairobi, Lagos, Dakar, London, um, and Luxembourg. So back to the investors. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of our investors are really excited about the future. And they've never seen anyone doing blockchain technology to power payments. Well, some of them have, but particularly in frontier markets, including some of the ones we work with in sub-Saharan Africa. So um, I think we have the right kind of investors that are really forward thinking and aren't just excited about um, the markets we work in just fundamentally, but the ability of our team and the technologies we're using to disrupt what are really inefficient markets. So, but yeah, at the same time, you know, you don't necessarily want to lead by saying, yeah, we're, you know, this Bitcoin company, because I think Bitcoin sometimes has a a negative stigma. Um, So, you know, we often talk about ourselves as being blockchain powered, um, which you alluded to before is, you know, there is a, a big distinction and blockchain um, technology right now is a very sexy topic. Well, OK, so I want to get back to that that point you're making uh, in a moment, because um, it's an important distinction. And I, I want your opinion on on the the reasons why Bitcoin has got such a bad, bad rap and 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 how that obviously influences your prospects as a startup, right? But I, I do want to pick up on something you said moments ago about how Silicon Valley startups, probably in your position, but servicing perhaps a more established or more affluent developed market, would not only not have any problem sort of a- a- attracting the kind of interest from investors you guys have if they had similar traction in their markets, but might even have run into the problem of like attracting too much. Why aren't we in the same position on the continent? I mean, I'm asking this really to get your sense of what what were the differences in terms of that on the continent as a startup founder who's who's successfully landed cash. Yeah, well, I must give credit really to to our CEO Elizabeth Rossiello who who um does lead our fundraising efforts. But yeah, I I think the reason why you don't see more of this kind of run-ups uh, of a lot of money going towards um, African startups in general, much less like a, a cryptocurrency uh, powered startup, um, is just the perception of risk. So I think you kind of get what is perceived. And of course, we all know like Africa is not one country. 
um, but many, many different markets and each market is unique. I think the best investors we see in general, and you know, I would claim the ours to be included, you know, they either look closely at or they know the market themselves, you know, either they've lived or worked there, they or at least they've invested in companies and, and look closely at what works and what doesn't. So I think there's just not that many investors who who know the African market that well or the specific markets in which we work, much less like a pan-African investor. So I think just in terms of that, there's just less um, investors that have that breadth and depth of knowledge. Um, but yeah, in terms of the cryptocurrency, you're seeing a trend these days called ICOs. Uh, which is a play on the term IPOs, where you're seeing distributed ledger technology companies basically raising money through crowdfunding, but through the sale of digital tokens, as opposed to um, kind of raising money the old-fashioned way. So that has also been a way that we've seen. I don't think I've seen any company uh, in Africa try the ICO, but... Because it wouldn't work. (laughs) I'm not sure. I can't say for sure, but... Because it wouldn't work. (laughs) I can say. Okay, okay. You did the right thing. You went and got the money. That's fine. And and that's probably because that's what would work for now. Again, I'm happy to be proved wrong. So if anyone listening out there is aware of a play that's worked... Fair enough, fair enough. I don't know that we'll be trying that, uh, but I can't promise we'll never try it. I, I suppose here's the other perhaps slightly more uh, difficult question to answer is why you had to look abroad for that money because I know for a fact there's enough to mop up in terms of uh, loose money, uh, loose you know, VC, angel money. Five million is not a lot of money. Even in, in, in African terms, from an investment perspective, why do you think it is that you had to go looking for it abroad? Or maybe it was available locally and um, the investor, potential investor, didn't, didn't fit your needs. But what is conspicuous is the fact that no local major names feature in your Series A. And I'm curious to know what sort of thinking goes into deciding who is a great fit for, like, Bitpesa. What local investors listening to the show ought to be thinking about in terms of if they're to attract the sort of portfolio uh, investment that Pitpesa represents in this case. And so the good news is we're starting to see more angel investing across the continent, uh, which Tommy Davies will often talk about um, heading up the Africa Angel Business Network. And you're seeing more incubators and sort of startup prizes and and innovation funds um, sprouting across the continent, which can help uh, an early stage startup get off the ground. And then you see a lot of like, uh, you know the Helios is, uh, of the continent doing really really big PE uh, VC deals, but there's sort of this missing middle. If you're trying to raise, you know, above a million dollars, five million dollars, e- even something less than ten million dollars, I think is in that sweet spot where um, it's just harder to find investors that are willing to take that kind of bet. What are your needs in that Series A space that you think might be hard for a local investor to wrap their minds around typically? Mm, I can't speak to every startup, but I, I think in our experience, Series A was a really important time to show that we're beyond you know, proof of concept years. You know, We've got a product market fit. We're in four countries already, but now we want to be in double that, triple that, quadruple that 
uh, across the whole continent and beyond into frontier markets, including the Middle East. So I think what may be challenging, I, I can't speak for investors again, since I'm not one, but you know, as you grow bigger and as you scale, you know, does that bring on more risk too? So I think as with any growing investment, um, the investors need to understand, well, okay, if you are growing and scaling, what are the additional risks that come with that? What is the hardest thing to explain in terms of the really unlimited potential of your idea as a con as a concept one? And on some level, it doesn't appear proprietary or is it? <laughs> well, I think I don't want to dig too much into our business model. Um, but yeah, I would just say that, you know, from our perspective, uh, you know, scaling up means greater footprint. Uh, it means more staff. It means more liquidity because we're essentially an FX payments platform. Um, it means more APIs, you know, as we plug into more and more mobile money networks and, and bank networks across the continent. And as I said, beyond into other frontier markets. So I, I think the thing I would just focus on is that scale means more costs and um, something that we need to manage well. So, you know, we should be achieving exponential growth from a less quickly growing cost basis and burn rate. But yeah, I think the other thing that we care a lot about is um, making sure that we're committed to uh, building strong relationships with regulators. Um, because I think certainly when you're in um, an industry where you're dealing with a relatively new, unknown technology, um, you know, regulators will want to know, you know, what, what are you doing with this technology? Um, how can it benefit um, you know, our citizens, how can we make sure that our citizens aren't harmed, um, et cetera. So I think for us, a long-term investment is also made in making sure that we're highly compliant and working closely with regulators. And so, yeah, the final thing is back to something I alluded to earlier. Bitcoin's a problem, eh? I mean, there are a lot of things that tickle my social capitalist inclinations that make me want to, you know, just hug the world, you know, about Bitcoin. And then there's the whole world of people who, who backed Bitcoin for those reasons. And then there's a whole world of less idealistic people who, who see it really as a stepping stone to something greater. Like Bitcoin, I feel like needs to grow up for, for it to, to go mainstream. Or does it? You guys did the risky thing of, of, aligning with Bitcoin by having part of Bitcoin in the name. Um, I don't know if that's worked for you or if that's been a rub. So let me be clear. We are actually digital currency agnostic. No, sure. Bit stand, the bit in our BitPesa name stands for Bitcoin. Um, but, you know, if there were a more efficient digital currency uh, with deep liquidity globally, um, you know, we'd absolutely be open to that. And um, we'd be open to trading with other digital currencies, again, assuming they had the deep liquidity and other partners that are um, can provide liquidity in FX markets where we don't operate um, but want to trade with uh, or what our clients want to trade with. So, yeah, from our perspective, I'd say we're definitely the latter, um, you know, we're very pragmatic. I mean, we're very excited and about what, um, Bitcoin as a proof of concept has shown. I'm not particularly a Bitcoin evangelist. You know, I do go to Bitcoin meetups in in London, and, and so I help start 
the Bitcoin meetup in Kenya um, a few years ago when BitPesa launched. Um, but yeah, I'd say for me, I'm excited about the potential of distributed ledger technology, so both financial and non-financial. And then when it comes to cryptocurrency, I'm just excited about the potential for lower, significantly lowering the cost of peer-to-peer, B2B, you know, and everything in between payments. Um, so yeah, I would say that we, it's not a big part of our mandate to uh, really promote Bitcoin, um, you know, as the end-all be-all. Um, and like I said before, we merely use digital currency as a token of settlement, like a payment rail. So to settle with with partners and in, in uh, like I said, in other markets where we're we're sending payments or receiving payments from. Um, yeah, I guess the last thing I would say is that if Bitcoin uh, or any other cryptocurrency wants to become mainstream, then it will need to be more stable, right? So if I, <laughs> you know, not to bring Zimbabwe into the picture, but and that's the first market that came to mind. Like if I, you know, come into the grocery store that I mentioned earlier with my Bitcoin wallet and one minute my milk carton of milk costs, you know, half a Bitcoin and then five minutes later it costs one Bitcoin. Well, you, you can pretty much guarantee that I'm not going to be too keen on paying for that milk carton with my Bitcoin. So I you know, I see the hype and the price increase, and, and it's exciting because it increases awareness. But I think, and also because you're paid in Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that I kept all my salary in Bitcoin, but yeah, basically to say that, um, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too all the time. So, you know, sure, Bitcoin could become more mainstream, but it's only going to become more mainstream if people find a practical use for it. So, if that practical use for it is speculation, then that's going to lend to wanting Bitcoin to be more volatile uh, for arbitrage opportunity. But if you're a player that wants to see it used as a global universal currency, like for example, today I got asked if I thought, you know, there should be a pan-African currency um, to make trade easier, you know, then it's going to be more stable. Okay, cool. And I'm sure you mentioned Zimbabwe because it's, to my mind, one of the potentially most viable use cases for Bitcoin adoption, right? As a national, well, as a sort of, as alternative attender. Zimbabwe does present this interesting opportunity, many people think, and I, I'm, part, I'm almost convinced of its viability. Uh, is that why you brought it up as an example, as the first example, or is it just random? You just went to Zimbabwe. Well, I mentioned Zimbabwe because of the volatility of, of its currency and... Um... Oh, the problems they've had in the past. Right. Yeah, in the past um, where, you know, one might hypothetically have that issue with uh, their currency, local currency. Um, we're not in Zimbabwe yet, but although there are a couple other um, Bitcoin blockchain companies there. So, uh, you know, that maybe there is some potential. Okay, well, thank you so much for, for chatting with me. And yeah, you took on most of what I asked and I appreciate it really. <laughs> Great. Thanks so much.